Welcome to Fuel, the official podcast of Friends Southwest, a family of churches whose mission is fueling a spirit-led movement where Jesus changes people who change the world. It's our hope in these monthly podcasts to bring you helpful information, engage meaningful conversations, and provide moments of inspiration to fuel you as you follow Jesus and care for His church. Well, hello and welcome to this edition of Fuel, our official Friends Southwest podcast. I'm so glad you joined us today. Our guest is Dr. Chris Adams. Chris is currently the director of the Center for Vocational Ministry at Azusa Pacific University. He's a clinical psychologist. He's a former pastor. He's a pastor's kid, and he's a good friend. I appreciate Chris. I appreciate his colleagueship, the ability to talk about how to care for pastors, and I find him to be warm and compassionate and helpful, and I think you will too. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you, Heidi. It's really a privilege and a joy uh, to be with you. I've got deep family roots, as you know, in the evangelical friends tradition and so many um, friends uh, here at APU and around the Southwest um, who are in ministry in the evangelical friends church. It's just really a a privilege to, to join you today. Well, thank you. We are, we're super glad to have you. Our topic today is depression and specifically depression in those who are in ministry. I know it doesn't sound like a very fun topic, but I hope you'll stay tuned because it's a very important one. So many people in the United States and really across the world are struggling with depression. And treatment for depression and anxiety is at an all-time high across the globe, but also specifically in the United States. And there's nowhere that that's more true than those who are in the ministry, actually, And that's partly why I've invited Chris to join us today. Chris is involved in some cutting-edge research on what it looks like to flourish as a person in ministry. And so, Chris, before we get started, why don't you just paint the picture and make sure we're all talking about the same thing when we say this big, broad-stroke word of depression? Sure. And I'm so glad um, you're choosing to, to focus on this because it, it is something that a lot of pastors experience, and I like to try to normalize that for people in ministry. We'll talk more about that. Um, but it's my experience that it can often go unrecognized as well. So when I when I think about depression, the way that uh, psychologists and psychiatrists um, diagnose it, the kinds of things that people experience include uh, things like having a really sad or downcast mood, um, and even to the point of of crying frequently and experiencing feelings of hopelessness, uh, being very self-critical and feeling worthless or having a really low self-esteem. And sometimes in response to that, uh, people will tend to really withdraw and become isolated uh, when they're depressed or have a desire to escape, which can range from anything from um, physical escape from a particular location to even having thoughts of self-harm or suicidal thoughts. Um, People also experience things like a loss of energy, feeling really lethargic, having difficulty focusing or concentrating, and also uh, appetite and sleep problems. So either 
eating too much, overeating, or not having an appetite. And the same thing can happen with sleep, either insomnia, having difficulty going to sleep or staying asleep, or what we call hypersomnia, which is sleeping an excessive amount. Um, those kinds of things are, are what come to mind initially when I think about the symptoms of depression. Mm. And talk to us about the origins of depression. Is this based on our genetics? Is it based on our personal history and experience? Yeah, such a great question. And there really are different kinds of depression and it is really a continuum or a matter of degree. It's not an all or nothing uh, sort of thing. Uh, And there probably are multiple factors for most people. Um, Some of us have a genetic vulnerability uh, to depression that um, we inherited and combined with stress or particular life circumstances, um, we can start to experience those symptoms. There are also different medical conditions that can uh, lead to depression or contribute to it. And certainly the stress of ministry for a whole host of reasons uh, can contribute mm-hmm. to that. There, there really are different um, causes, and often it's more than one thing that converge mm-hmm. uh, to lead to people experiencing these kinds of things. Right. And regardless of the origin of the depression, um, the impact is often the same, whether it's a physiological, biological depression in terms of its origins, like my body just has this predisposition to not produce enough serotonin and dopamine, right? Or whether it's in response to what's happening in my life the implications are the same. And I think one of the things I want our listeners to understand and think about is that um, we have to come at this from all aspects of who we are, from the spiritual, the physical, the emotional, psychological, and the physiological, because otherwise our attempts to be helpful will be short-circuited. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because I I hear often from pastors something like, you know, that they're concerned that being depressed in and of itself is a sin or sinful. And so one of the ways I prefer to respond to that is that depression can be a result of sinful choices to some degree, um, but it's not necessarily the consequence of sinful choices. Um, and so it can be completely unrelated to anything sinful and, and uh, encourage pastors in particular to to be honest with themselves, but also kind and gentle with themselves about it. Yeah, I think that's super important. Rick Warren has said it this way, like, don't confuse character with chemistry. That's really right? good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super succinct way for us to understand that. And uh, certainly some of our coping mechanisms, which we'll talk about in a minute, can have some maladaptive, sinful elements to them. Um, But often the origins of our depression is just simply, you know, the, the brutality of life, the relentless nature sometimes of hardship, or really the physical changes that are happening in our body. And certainly scripture seems to affirm that we, uh, we fight against principalities and powers that would seek to exploit our vulnerabilities. And so um, certainly there can be a spiritual element to this as well Absolutely. That's in, the mix in, in mysterious kinds of ways. Absolutely. Okay. So Chris, take us to depression in pastors. What is the research that you're involved in revealing about depression with those in the ministry? 
Yeah, it's it's actually um, quite high in terms of the rate of depression, and the the good research that's been done suggests that it, the rate of depression among pastors is at least as high as the general population, uh, which sometimes is a surprise to lay people who have never um, been in, in pastoral ministry, but often is not a surprise to pastors themselves, although it might be really validating to them to know that uh, they're not the only one, that actually it's mm-hmm. it's fairly common. There's something in the nature of the work itself that can really uh, be depression-inducing in, in different kinds of ways. And so the mm-hmm. it's a concerning um, statistic that it's as high as it is. Um, but also um, may be comforting in a way to know that uh, that you're really normal uh, if you're a pastor experiencing these kinds of things. It just means you're human and you're in a very complex, stressful job. Absolutely. And I hope in this conversation we'll get to talk a little bit more about uh, leaning into our persons and who we are and not just our roles as pastors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why don't you tell us what contributes to depression in pastors since it is equal or actually some research even quotes it as, you know, a little bit higher than in the general population. So why why is that? What is it in particular about being in the ministry that, you know, gives us a predisposition to struggling with bouts of depression? Sure. And <clears throat> there likely are a number of reasons. Some of the the primary ones that come to mind have to do with both the the physiology of ministry stress, as well as uh, some of the psychological kinds of factors pastors are uh, constantly contending with. So, for example, I heard a, a psychiatrist, Heidi, recently uh, say at a conference that being a pastor is is living in a serotonin-depleting environment, which I thought was oh, a dear. fascinating, <laughs> fascinating yeah. comment that psychiatrists are actually quite familiar with pastors in their offices because there's something about the the 24-7 nature of the job, where you're constantly immersed in the role of being a pastor, which of course is wonderful in many, many ways, mm-hmm, of uh, course. but it's challenging from a stress management perspective and the the cost to that on, um, on what happens in our brain chemistry and how that prolonged uh, chronic stress can suppress some of the neurotransmitters involved in depression like serotonin. Mm. Um Ministry also involves being involved in in loss in other people's lives quite frequently, and uh, some of the hidden losses for pastors that that lead to um, feelings of grief and and the, the ex- trauma exposure that happens for pastors uh, sometimes quite frequently uh, can really all contribute to uh, depression symptoms starting to accumulate if we're not careful to to process all of those uh, hidden losses that are there for pastors. Yeah. As you and I have talked about before, pastors are often the first phone call yes. when there's a trauma That's or right. a loss. That's right. People trust pastors and go to them first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's fascinating about that is that whole area of research on vicarious trauma that that is relatively new and relates to those who are helping, those who are responding to the trauma. And we would think that natural of a police officer, a fireman, you know, a um, social work or someone who's been dispatched to, you know, a terrible 
hurricane in our country or somewhere else, but we don't really think about that with pastors. And one of the most interesting things is right built into their training is they have to go through a period of debrief after a trauma. They often resist it, but they have to before they're released back to the job. But we have no built-in debrief recovery time for pastors. That's right. And and given the the demands on pastors and the role complexity, just so many different um, areas of leadership they have to attend to and switching between those areas so rapidly in any given day, sometimes there's not really even time to allow ourselves to emotionally react or respond mm-hmm. to something really difficult we've we've just heard about or witnessed um, or journeyed uh, with someone through that, that involve really difficult traumatic losses of various kinds. And that, that can sort of accumulate. We can start to carry around kind of a knapsack of, mm. of loss and sadness from that. That's, uh, that's uh, unprocessed. And that's one of the things I think that contributes to the depression. Yeah. Because what we don't process doesn't heal. Yeah, exactly. And mm. that, that role complexity really is a, a challenging thing um, from the standpoint of feeling a sense of, of accomplishment and um, fulfillment as well in pastoral ministry. It's You're mm-hmm. kind of called upon to be an expert generalist and be great at so many different things that it's probably humanly impossible to be great at, at all of them. Um, and But we, we measure ourselves against a very high standard, and certainly there's no shortage of conflict and criticism coming at us from other people. Um, and it gets, yeah. it gets, uh, it gets old to be on the receiving yeah. end of that all the time as well. Totally. Which is often compounded by our particular sort of personality type. If we're people pleasers or sure. have high approval needs or needs for control, right. Then we're constantly, um, being confronted by our own sort of um, places of vulnerability in our personalities and in our own um, wounding of our history. You bet. You bet. Yeah. That's really true. We all bring our our own uh, vulnerabilities into this work in certain ways. And I, I love what you said uh, at the beginning of our conversation about the fact that pastors are persons and we we get into trouble sometimes, not because we forget we're pastors, but because we, f- we forget we're persons. And we're human beings with limitations and wounds and uh, things that we need to tend to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I think there are ways that the system has been set up to um, purport that distortion. Yeah. You know, Um, I think one of the great things that's happening in the church, capital C, is this understanding of we need our pastors to be emotionally, relationally, and psychologically healthy people, not just spiritually wise. Yes. And I think that's going to help with us being allowed to be people yes. and not just filling the roles yeah. of pastor. Well, I think what you're saying, Heidi, is really important. In fact, research supports this um, with clergy that, that pastors that tend to compartmentalize spirituality or spiritual formation, which is to say they they think of spirituality in its own little compartment over to one side um, and not connected um, or including their physical health, their emotional health, relationships, uh, those kinds of things. The spiritual formation, I think the biblical picture is it's a holistic picture. It involves all of who we are and all of life. 
um, pastors then compartmentalize it actually set themselves up for um, for depression and uh, other physical health kinds of difficulties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really agree with that. And I think that was the way we, if you're, you know, over 50, I, I think that's the way that we were trained to think. Uh-huh. You know, we, we didn't see it differently back then. And so that's why I feel like the shift that's happening is so helpful. Um, my, my current... Uh, operating definition of spiritual maturity is integration, Mm. right? Um, The Lord has said that the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've sort of reduced that to, it means I'm all in and I give God everything. Now, that's a really good and important spiritual principle, but it's so much deeper and more complicated than that. It's God calling us to bring all parts of ourselves um, toward each other and toward him so he can create shalom within us so that we can be a part of his building shalom outside in this broken world, right? Because when the fall happened, everything fractured. And so God is at in the process of bringing all of those pieces to shape them into a whole again. And when we compartmentalize, we're saying everything can sort of exist in its own space and not impact the other parts of me. Yes. Yeah. And and one of the things I'm thinking more and more about um, connected to this is is the issue of stewardship and a theology of stewardship of, of ourselves, the, the tool God has given us. Uh, to share with congregations and with those that we're leading and how do we, how do we do things in a way that, that are sustainable um, so we mm-hmm. can be a part of God's kingdom work for as long as possible and be as effective as possible out of, mm-hmm. out of health. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've sort of started already talking about some negative coping patterns, like compartmentalizing things, yeah. uh, no recovery time no debrief after loss and trauma and being helpful to other people. Um, talk to me about other, other ways that you see pastors sort of cope with the stress and try to self-treat their depression and anxiety. Yeah, no, that's really important to talk about as well. And one of the first things that comes to mind is pastors can <clears throat> say something to ourselves like, uh, I should not be feeling this way because I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. That somehow there's a failure or a shame associated with just experiencing symptoms of depression. And consequently, we can start to beat ourselves up a bit for feeling depressed, which, of course, only deepens the depression, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, extending the kind of pastoral care to ourselves that we do to everybody else uh, in our lives. And so I think that's one of the negative ways to cope, as well as becoming even more isolated, um, which can also. Um, Sort of compound uh, some of the suffering that we're going through. Yes, because it seems to me that our continual reaction to shame is to hide. Yes. Right? Because shame thrives on secrecy right. and silence, and that's how the condemnation grows. And so when we feel shame about something, like I should be better than this, I should not feel this way, I should be more XYZ and I feel shame, then I hide. And then when I hide, I'm isolating. And then when I'm isolating, the depression is just, or the anxiety able to sort of 
digging its roots even deeper. That's right. And sometimes that shame will lead lead people to engage in behavior where they're trying to to cope with the pain or self-medicate the pain um, and then feeling even more ashamed because of the way we're trying to self-medicate, which can lead to an addictive cycle. And I think what what pastors are most at risk for in terms of addiction are what are called process addictions, mm-hmm. uh, which have to do with becoming addicted to the brain's own chemicals so we can engage in certain behaviors and, and get kind of a rush out of those in our own brain chemistry. We get adrenaline and dopamine and some other stuff um, as a way to try to cope with with feeling down, feeling depressed. Yeah. So when we are struggling with depression, when we're hiding, when we're feeling shame, then we try to boost the opposite neurotransmitters in our brain, but but we do it in maladaptive ways with process addictions. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, so give so, us some examples of those process addictions. Sure. So um, uh, one of the tough ones uh, nowadays for us is is technology and constantly mm-hmm. being stimulated by iPhones, smartphones that uh, can become addictive for people and even for pastors. A food addiction works this way. Uh, we get a hit of dopamine and some other things in the brain when we, we eat a really great meal or high fat, high salt um, kinds of meals. And uh, that can be a... You're a, stepping on people's toes now, Chris, I just got to tell you. <laughs> a, a little comfort food is okay every now and then. I mean, why why do I crave salt and vinegar potato chips at 10 mm-hmm. o'clock at right. night? I'm sure it's got yeah. something to do with stress. Um, workaholism works this way, which is one of the mm-hmm. tougher ones for pastors to admit to ourselves is we, we get adrenaline from our work. We love our work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can actually be a way of, of coping is to over function mm-hmm. and then sexual addiction and, and works this way as well. And pornography um, use and addiction is a massive issue for clergy. And, and it really is a process addiction at work. It's not the pornography per se. It's the, um, it's the brain chemistry people are becoming addicted to that set in motion uh, during sexual arousal. Um, and mm-hmm. that is a really significant issue for pastors who really are trying to cope yeah. with an underlying depression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's so important for us to understand, not only for ourselves as pastors, but also for the people that we're loving, is that there's usually something underneath uh, the addictive process that, yeah. that they're trying to resolve. So, all right. Uh, Tell us some helpful ways. We've talked about depression, what it is, why it's specific to the pastorate, some of the coping mechanisms that we see typically um, people engaging in. What are some ways to respond to depression that are helpful? Yeah, absolutely. The the first thing I start with in talking with pastors are talking about just some lifestyle rhythms. So Mm -hmm. uh, do you have time when you're not working and, and not working in your head either, really taking a mental break right. from work and taking time to rest, to practice Sabbath, um, and take time away from ministry responsibilities. And so if we could say that the way we said that before, it'd be, you're suggesting that we take time to be just a person, not, not a pastor. Uh-huh. Okay. That's exactly right. And <clears throat> exercise is, is also huge. In fact, research is increasingly Mm-hmm. demonstrating the benefits of exercise in 
helping to uh, to treat depression symptoms is as or more effective than uh, antidepressant medication for some people. Mm-hmm. And so exercise is really significant, even if it's taking a 20-minute walk once a day at a moderate pace. Um, that really can make a difference over time if, if we do that kind of thing consistently. Because it's a healthy way to get our bodies to produce the same thing we're seeking when we're engaging in a process addiction. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. And and even though it can be difficult um, because it can be um, disrupted by depression, sleep is, is also incredibly important. Um, the experts say we all need seven to nine hours a night on average, or we develop a sleep debt right. that mm-hmm. leads to all kinds of difficulties if it gets uh, severe enough. And there's so much restorative stuff that happens when we get good sleep for that yes. good chunk of time. Um, that, uh, that exercise, sleep, rest, um, thinking about nutrition uh, in responsible kinds of ways can also make a big difference to mood and depression symptoms. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes there's a need to really think about um, medication as well. And the, the research seems really clear that medication and counseling together are over five times more effective than doing one without the other. Um, yeah. And so it's not always called for, but when it is for some period of time, um, it can really help reduce the intensity of symptoms of depression. So people can really get more out of the, um, the counseling part of things and start to recover and make lifestyle changes and, and see those symptoms start to diminish and, and go away over time. So can you speak to the bias against psychotropic medication, against medication for anxiety, against medication for antidepressants. Gratefully, I feel like we're making a lot of headway in the church to undo that bias, but it still does exist. So can you speak to that for us, Chris? Sure. I I think in some ways there's some legitimate concerns there for pastors and for Christians, for people of faith that uh, our culture... um, wants instant gratification and looks for a quick fix. And so if I can take a pill and make all my problems go away and that's oversimplifying it, but uh, then our culture would, would want to do that and not really think about the lifestyle changes, not really take a look at the underlying Mm -hmm. issues through counseling. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think wisely pastors are a little bit suspicious of, of something that is mood altering through medication, um, that, uh, you know, without really looking at things holistically and comprehensively. And so I wouldn't recommend that either. But for some people, um, it really essentially works like a vitamin. It just boosts our um, brain chemistry to where it should be. And for many people, their brain will take back over um, producing those neurotransmitters and then they can kind of slowly, gradually go off of the medication. Mm-hmm. Some people that have more biological forms of depression or genetic vulnerabilities may need to be on antidepressants uh, for a long, long time, even for the rest of their lives, just at, like a vitamin. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it helps people function and be all that God created them to be. Yeah, and I think it's really important that we are willing to see that and understand it. We wouldn't ask a diabetic to stop taking their insulin Right, we wouldn't just expect that we could fight an infection without 
antibiotics. We, you know, we wouldn't ask people to do that in other medical ways. And so it's really important that we are wise, just like you don't want to hand out antibiotics hand over fist. That's right. We are wise about when we use medication, but that we have an openness yes. to it and an understanding of its role. The way I used to describe it to clients is when it's done right, it just backs you up from the cliff to two feet. You know, it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't make you stop feeling. It doesn't give you a personality change. If all those things happen, then it then we're not on the right map. That's right. Something else but is going on. But when it's done correctly, Right. When it's done correctly, it just backs you up. So you stop teetering on the edge of that precipice all the time. And then you can employ the beauty of counseling or the tools that you have in your toolbox. But when you're teetering on the edge, you can't. You're just trying not to fall off. Yes. And so um, there, there's a role for medication yeah. at certain times. There really is. And even if the, the depression is largely created by stress or other psychological reasons, if it goes on long enough and becomes deep enough, it, the, the physiology involved can take on a life of its own. And uh, people are then up against the momentum of that. And the medication can just help um, de-escalate the, the momentum of that physiology that has been building uh, maybe, usually over quite some time. And Maybe in some ways, um, that's especially true for pastors because they can be reluctant to, to ask for help uh, and go to counseling and um, just want to encourage your audience to, to be open to that as well. And it really is. It doesn't mean you're a failure as a pastor or a Christian to, right. to seek out that help if you find yourself experiencing these kinds of things. Absolutely. Because if we don't, like you're saying, then there becomes a well-worn path in our brain for our um, neurochemistry to follow. So for example, personally, the weak link in my chain will be anxiety and then anxiety can lead to depression. So when I'm tired, I tend to feel more anxious because it's the well-worn path uh -huh. in my brain, right? And so there are things that I've learned to do that I need to make a part of my habitual lifestyle in order for my brain to learn a new path. Yes. So it doesn't just go to the default of, oh, we, we're anxious here. That's what we do. We just go to anxiety. <laughs> and so that's, yeah. that's part of what you're saying is all of these interventions from medication to sleep to exercise to eating for nutrition, those things will help our brains make sure it has a path that isn't just the default path of depression or anxiety. That's right. And it's so interesting to me in light of that to think about, you know, some of the instruction for us in scripture, uh, for example, right. you know, whatsoever is pure, um, think on these things. And it's suggesting to us to, to create some neural pathways by meditating on uh, the promises of God and the positive things uh, in life that are of the Lord um, because we're creating new neural networks when we do that and literally yeah. will change the brain uh, over time as we engage in those kind of practices. Absolutely. Especially when we're engaging in that again in a holistic way, right? Like we talked about at the beginning, we've got to address this spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically. When we do that, then the power of God's word, we really experience it in our lives. Yes. Yeah, very well said. Yeah. Great. Hey, Chris, talk to us about 
flourishing? What fosters flourishing in the ministry? Or what do pastors who really are flourishing have in common? You've been doing some research in this area. Yeah, it's it's such an exciting turn in the research to not just think about what prevents or addresses the difficulty, but also what promotes health and the Mm -hmm. abundant life and those kinds of things. So there's some key things we're finding that flourishing pastors practice Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Uh, One is that they have close personal friendships, a number of key uh, places in their lives. Certainly um, marriage and family, if pastors are married, but but also finding a close personal friend, at least one outside of their congregational context. So somebody that doesn't Mm -hmm. go to your church with whom you can just be a person. Um, and yes. to regularly get together with them because that's where we're truly known completely um, as a person and, and have someone that knows our our sense of humor, our fears, our uh, struggles, our things we rejoice in, that that to some extent people at church may know some about those things, but they're, they're not going to and probably shouldn't know about all of them. Uh, but having someone away from that context that knows all of that is really a key practice. Yeah, for us to be able to have a safe space to tell the truth about who we are and what we're struggling with in totality. Absolutely. Yep. And and also we're finding that pastors that are flourishing take time to uh, to have a hobby or what we're calling a restorative niche um, to literally to play. Uh, to lose themselves mm. in the joy of an activity that that they're good at, that they enjoy doing, and mm-hmm. that uh, takes their full attention to do it mm-hmm. um, for at least 20 minutes a week as a minimum. And part of why we think that is helping is because when we, we can lose ourselves in something like that, um, we are mentally checking out of work in a healthy way. It's a healthy way to detach mm-hmm. And not constantly be thinking about a sermon or a, um, a meeting coming up with the church board or whatever. And what pastors are telling us is when they're doing that, they're actually coming back to their work with a, a much more creativity, um, with much mm-hmm. more uh, and a vital engagement in what God is calling them to do because they took time away from it. Um, they actually get more mm-hmm. done in a shorter period of time. It's it's better and deeper quality because they took time away and and took time to play. Mm. This isn't just like planning that big old trip where you're gone for a week to two weeks. This is a regular space in your life where you do something that you just fully enjoy. Yeah. For for example, I have a good friend who's been a pastor for many, many years. He's in his early 60s. And on his day off, he'll go out into his garage and play with his elaborate model train set up. And he puts on a little engineer hat and everything um, and plays with his model trains for several hours on his day off. And it's just mm, a hobby that he awesome. loves. And he loses himself in that and listens to music that he likes while he's doing that or something like that. And mm. um, he just says, talk about how restorative and renewing that has been to him over the years. So for those listening to us right now, I have a question for you. If someone were to say, what's your favorite thing to do? What do you enjoy most? Do you have an answer that isn't about work, that isn't about the responsibility of being a parent? Do you have something that you just enjoy? Because Chris is telling us that matters. Okay, next thing. 
Um, the other thing that really is is striking to us in this research is uh, certainly spiritual disciplines are important for all Christians and for pastors, but we're finding that certain uh, spiritual practices seem to be more important for flourishing pastors than other mm-hmm. spiritual practices. And those are the kinds of things that are contemplative kinds of spiritual disciplines. So things like uh, listening prayer, centering prayer, silence, solitude. Uh, some people might be familiar with um, some of the spiritual exercises from St. Ignatius, for example. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things we think are really important because they're they're about receiving from God, listening to God, and not about having to sort of perform a religious task in some way as part of the spiritual discipline, which is what pastors have to do constantly in their life. And we get asked to pray at every family gathering as if nobody else can pray. And you're, you're constantly <laughs> called upon to religiously perform. And so in our own relationship with God, to be able to step away from that uh, seems to be something that's really renewing for clergy. So you're talking about just being with Jesus. That's it. Just me as a person, just being with Jesus and and even just being willing to be in a posture of receiving from him. Yes. Mm, that that's super important. And we see that in the scripture, right? We see Jesus calling his disciples, let's let's go, let's get away to a quiet place. Right? But it's so easy for us to neglect that or to come with our hands open ready to receive rather than feeling like I have to bring something. Yes. That's right. Mm. Yeah, that's super important. Yeah, and another significant um, thought that has come up as we've been asking pastors, you know, what are the kinds of things that, that you're doing that seem to be promoting your own flourishing is it has to do really with how they approach a philosophy of ministry or an understanding of uh, what ministry is all about as a pastor. And uh, pastors that approach ministry as participating with what God is already doing in the world seem to flourish more. Joining in with uh, what God is already doing in the world um, is allows us to focus more on the process of being in ministry with God uh, than trying to produce something for God. And that's mm-hmm. a very different way to that's go great. about how we approach what we do that, um, that also uh, prevents um, getting depressed when, when what we don't think should be happening isn't happening. Well, then there's a discernment um, and a, a mm-hmm. reliance on God accomplishing God's mission in the world. And it's not just up to us to do that. So Chris, talk to the pastor who's struggling right now, who's listening to this. What What do we want to say to them right now? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I want to say is that uh, you're not alone. Um, mm-hmm. and that I think you should say that again. Uh, that you're not alone. Uh, you can mm-hmm. feel alone and and may wonder, has any, ever, any other pastor ever felt this way? Um, and many, many pastors experience some season of significant depression. So you're not alone. It doesn't mean you're inadequate. Uh, and there's help available. And we mm-hmm. want to um, encourage you to seek that and point you toward that help that can restore the joy of your salvation and the joy of ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there really is healing available in Jesus' name. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree with that and uh, do want to underscore that if you're hurting and struggling, remember it's it's not the voice of God that would call you to hide that and to feel like you have to do that alone. That would not be the Spirit of God. And so to go ahead and reach out, make that phone call. You can 
Call us at the denomination office. Call that safe person in your life. You can reach out to Chris at the Center for Vocational Ministry, a therapist you know, but this would be the day to go ahead and and reach out and let someone know um, that you're hurting because uh, Jesus really does have intentions for us that are good and for flourishing. Yes, and encourage yourself in the Lord and um, and invite those of us who care deeply about pastors uh, to come around you and, and offer that encouragement as well. Yeah, we're not supposed to do it alone, right? That's right. The only other thing I think I'd like to add to our discussion before we close, Chris, is uh, for the pastors who are listening who maybe they're like, yeah, this really isn't my issue. I want you to understand that it is someone's issue that you do know. That's right. A pastor friend that you do know, a family member, and definitely people in your congregation. And so it's very important that you understand the darkness that can come with depression. Yes. Not even darkness that's evil, just the feeling of depression being so dark. And I think it's really important to understand if you haven't been through it, it's not going to make sense to you. Yeah. But your ability to comprehend it is not a prerequisite for you being compassionate. And so I think of that story where Jesus' disciples are in the boat and he's walking on the water and it says he intended to pass them by, but seeing their distress, he got in the boat. So this has been our hope to uh, get in the boat with some of you today who are suffering. And I want to encourage you, if you know someone else who's suffering, just, just get in the boat. Just offer them your presence. Chris, thank you so much. There's so many more things we could say, but I so appreciate your time and your heart for pastors and your availability. And I'm grateful for you having this conversation with me today to try to care for those pastors in our friends' churches. So thank you very much. Thank you, Heidi. It's been my honor and really will continue to be praying for all of the amazing Evangelical Friends pastors who are out there um, in the trenches being faithful and obedient as, as God's shepherds to God's people. Thank you. They are a great group of men and women. Well, friends, that wraps up this edition of Fuel. I'm grateful that you listened and know that we are always here if we can be of service to you. you.